God's got to change your heart. Yeah. So like baking it in heat. You saying, John, this must be a Samsung TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a Samsung TV. Oh, That's why you got it. Um, okay. I think that's what we want. Right there. Okay. Yeah. 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 service here and and um, uh, for those who are with us for the very first time welcome uh, good to have you uh, with us today um, uh, you know hope you can uh, join us for break bread as well as was mentioned before uh, it's going to be a good time of fellowship and food fellowship and food is always good Amen. Um, yeah. I want to thank um, thank Mike for the Great communion. That was that was fantastic. And also, marriage retreat. I am so excited. Um, uh, you know, I'm uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to all the hard work paying off. Yeah. Amen. 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 And then. Enjoying ourselves, really having a blast, really learning a whole lot, really, uh, you know, improving our marriages, Amen. and then the planning is over. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> um, but I'm so happy that um, also that you guys have been enjoying the, the series so far, uh, the different series that we have uh, been experiencing this year. Um, we had quite a bit um, of, of series that we've been going through. Um, but we're going to start a new series today. And then we may have to, what we may have to do is, because of the marriage tree, we may have to fit the second um, uh, part of the series into a midweek, right? Mm -hmm. Because Matt Brown is going to preach on Sunday during the marriage, uh, marriage retreat, and I am so looking forward to Matt Brown preaching. Uh, Matt Brown is the lead evangelist in Nashville, and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing from him. So what we may do is, is next Wednesday, we may go ahead and, and go through the second lesson in this series, just so that we don't throw it off, you know what I mean? Um, so that's what we may be doing. So looking forward to that. now. This series, We Are, Identity in Christ, um, you know, we're going to go, you know, to, to, to be rooted in Christ, we have to know who we are in Christ, amen? And so, so I think this series is very important for all of us, but I do think it will be especially important for our young people right now. Amen. For instance, teens who are looking to define their identity. You know, the world says that our, sex, our, our, our sexual identity or race is our primary identity, right? You can tell that by watching TV, okay? That our sexual identity or our race is our primary identity. But it's all dependent on our perspective. So per perspective shapes our behavior, right? How we see things shapes our behavior. For instance, if we think of the church as a restaurant, right, if that's our perspective, we get upset when we when we don't get what we order. Right? If, we, if we think of the church as a movie, we're disappointed when 
but we aren't entertained. Right? If we think of the church as a temple, we see church as holy in God's presence. Amen. If we think of the church as a field, as then then we think of the work involved. It depends on your perspective. There you go. You know, what about what about how we think of our marriage? You know, there's a book written by Gary Thomas called Sacred Marriage. And in this book, he asked the question, is marriage created to make us happy or to make us holy? Mm -hmm. this, per this, this perception shapes how you interpret and evaluate your marriage. Wow. Is your marriage about making you happy or is it about making you holy? I talk to to um, engaged couples and even even singles who are thinking about dating all the time about this. I tell them that marriage is about holiness. Amen. When they talk about okay, well who 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 should I who should I date or who should I think about marrying? I'm, I'm like, well, who's going to get you to heaven? Come on. That's your primary objective. It's perspective. How about your perspective of yourself? Our perspective of ourselves will shape our behavior. Think, think of how you act when you, when you enter a room, right? And you believe you're the smartest person in the room. <laughs> or you believe you're the dumbest person in the room. Right? When you, how, how about when you enter a room and you believe that you're the only, oldest person in the room or the youngest person in the room? What about playing a sport and you believe you're the best in the group or the worst in the group? Perspective. Yeah. Teens, you may think you're the most popular or not the most popular in school. It's perspective. So in this series, we're going to look at, so week one, what we're going to look at today is, as you can see there on the screen, is deceived identity, right? Who the world tells you you are. You know, Satan seeks to define, define you through your pains and pleasures. God seeks to define you through purpose, through your purpose. Right? Week two, we're going to look at achieved identity, the identity you build through your choices. You know, we all choose between two kinds of materials, the kind that burns and the kind that lasts. Week three, which is Easter, uh, where we're going to hear from Nathan Martin, and he's going to talk about received identity, who God tells you. Not the world telling you, but God tells you you are. Right? Victory reframes our life story. When you win, everything is seen through the lens of that victory. And then Sunday, April 24th, week four, who God tells us we are is, is believed identity. I'm sorry, who God tells us we can become. Right? Your glory, your glory self is becoming who God intended you to become. Amen. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful that we can depend on you to learn who we need to be, who Amen. we must be. We can learn our identity, our true identity in you, Father. Pray that you will be with us this morning, that you will open our hearts wide to your word. And this will not be my message, but it will be your message to us. Mm -hmm. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 So, identity in Christ, part one, deceived identity. Right? So, fight, fighting against what Satan and the world tells us about who we are. The world just the world tries so hard, doesn't it, to define us? That's right. Right? That's what even media is about. Trying to define who we are so they can sell their product to who they want us to be. 
Mm. Right? The best, the better, the, the, the more they try to do that, and the best they, they accomplish that, the more product they can sell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? If they can frame us to who they want us to be, the wealthier they become. You know, this week, like I said, our title is Deceived Identity. You know, asking what we believe about ourselves can be a minefield. You know, when I was growing up, my mother would tell me all these things. Like how smart I was. I was going to accomplish all these things. I was going to accomplish all these things in my life. I was going to be so great. I could be the president if I wanted to be. Did I appreciate it? Absolutely. Right? I was, I was the most good-looking person. I was the smartest, handsomest, strongest. But in, in, but in school, that was always congruent with my personal experience. <laughs> it was very different. How come some of the kids didn't think I was the strongest? How come some of the kids didn't think I was the most good looking? How come some of the kids thought I was scrawny and skinny and that my two front teeth were too big? How come some of them didn't think like she thought? How come I wasn't as special as she said I was? Right? It's always a different story when you get to school. Right? You know, we have a battlefield of lies, false perceptions, and misconceptions of, of which there are so many. They're unintentional, but they're there. I've heard it said there are three lies that we have to overcome in life. Lies the world tells us. For instance, if it feels good, if it feels good, it is good. That's one lie the world tells us, right? If it feels good, it has to be good. Another lie is follow your heart. Just follow your heart. If your heart tells you to do it, then do go ahead and do it. It has to be good. If your heart tells you that you need to drink every night to your heart's content, then go ahead and do it. If your heart tells you she's the right one, then she's the right one. Another lie, lies you tell the world. And how about lies you tell yourself? Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at how he battled Satan and handled this challenge Come on. of identity. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. And I know that this is a passage that you've heard a million times, amen? But let's look at it anyway. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is writ written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Amen. Every word. You know, this inter interaction happens when Jesus had fasted for 40 days. There you go. 40 days. He was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Hungry. Hangry. No, he wasn't hangry. He was hungry. He was hungry. <laughs> This is when Satan shows up, right? right? When he was hungry. We can't, we can't underestimate Satan's cunning. 
Can you imagine fasting for 40 days? Now, because I can't. Now, some of you may have done it. I've never done it. The longest I've fasted is about 21 days, and I've done that quite a few times. Right? 21 days is the longest I've done it, and I'm telling you, I had a hard time. I had a hard time doing it. It took a lot of prayer. A lot of attitude. Right? I remember in, um, honey, what was it, 19, I'm sorry, not 19, 2018, right? We went to, I was, I was fasting, and we went to um, Cincinnati, and it was a campus retreat. And I remember it was so awesome, so much fun. We had people, friends coming in from Jamaica to the campus retreat. And Greg Ball, who leads a church in, in, in Kingston, Jamaica, he discipled me when I was in Jamaica. And I was so excited to see him. And he's like, bro, it's so great to see you. Let's go have dinner. And I'm like, amen, bro. Let's go. And he's sitting there, and he's digging into some chicken. And I'm there with my juice, you know. And I'm like... This is not cool right now. <laughs> and I'm praying, and I'm, he's talking to me, but I'm praying. I'm like, Lord Jesus, Lord, help me. Help me with, because in my heart, I'm burning, and I'm having attitudes. Because I told him, I said to him, bro, I can't eat right now. And I thought he would get the picture <laughs> and just order salad or something. But he's just digging into this chicken. Right? It's tough. And that's when Satan shows up. Every time I've done it, I felt like I would lose my mind. 40 days he fasted. <coughs> you know, when you fast for a long time, you're starving, empty, hurting, you're vulnerable. This is descriptive of us. You know, people are starved for attention. They're starved for friendships. Starved for approval. People are empty from sin, from guilt, from shame. People are hurting emotionally, spiritually. This is us. This is the same thing that we experience even as we fast. Satan is talking to us. Now he's there when, when we're hurting to remind us of these things. In other words, we're, we're vulnerable and Satan enters the fray and asks Jesus, and he asks us a question of identity. If you've been starved, empty, and hurting, you know you've heard Satan's voice asking, if you're a child of God, then why don't you have a boyfriend? If you're a child of God, why didn't you get that job? If you're a child of God, why is your marriage so difficult? If you're a child of God, why are you even having an identity crisis? Talk about it. If you're a child of God, why are you more popular? If you're a child of God, why is your family disrupted? If you're a child of God, why is your household disrupted? If you're a child of God, why are you happy? If you're a child of God, why are you doing better in school? If you're a child of God, why are you sad? And Satan is there asking these questions. Satan asks a starving Jesus, if you're a child of God, make bread. And he asks us, if you're, if you're part of the kingdom, then why aren't your immediate needs met. In the last five years, 
you've seen a huge rise in demagoguery. A demagogue is defined as, as someone who gains popularity by arousing the emotions, passions, and prejudices of the people. You know, in other words, they prey on two areas of, of people's lives. They try to motivate, motivate you by appealing to two areas in your life, pleasure and pain. If all they want to do is impact the most people possible, they'll do it with pleasure and pain. We see this happening all over the world. We see it currently. These demagogues can be salesmen, preachers, professors, someone on social media. And they, and, and, they, and they they do one of two things. They appeal to pleasure. So they show they show a, a, a party life, right? To interest people. Party life with scantily clad women and, and, and highlight the spoils of wealth. Or they talk about your pain. Has anyone ever hurt you in church? If so, come follow me, they will say. They hurt your feelings in church? Come, come, come. I got you. Come. We won't hurt your feelings here. Oh, they, they held you accountable in your church? Oh, no, 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 no. Come, come, come. come. Because we, we want to make sure that you're pleased over here. Satan always appeals through these motivations as well. He's the ultimate demigod. And so, Jesus responds by saying, Man does not live on bread alone. That's not life. There's way more to life. In the kingdom of God. Yeah. Come on. That is not life. In other words, Jesus says, there's more to life than this. Jesus doesn't promise us no pain and all pleasure. Right. He doesn't promise that anywhere in the gospel. Yeah. Instead, he gives us a reason to deny pleasure and to face our pains. To run toward it. What are higher mo motivations than pain and pleasure? You know what they are? Joy. Amen. Gratitude. Yeah. Purpose. Love. Inspiration. Those are higher motivations. So if you're feeling pain, look for those. Because you're going to feel pain. Yeah. It's going to happen. That's right. Come on. Run towards those. Satan wants us to be defined by pleasure and by pain. Jesus offers purpose. Satan appeals to the lowest common denominator and Jesus sees right through it. Matthew 4, 5 through 7, Satan will, you know, Satan, Satan will keep making a play for your identity. Matthew 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 4, verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to, to the holy city and had him stand on the, on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in the ha in in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, "It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test.'" 
you know, great things occur on higher ground. Amen? <laughs> I experienced many hills when I was in Jamaica. I love going up in the hills. I love it. The temperature change is just awesome. The air is different. The people are different. Certainly in Jamaica, the people are different to hide. <laughs> it's pretty cool though. And I love it. You farm and you grow different things at that elevation. And something emotional happens to you when, when, you, are, when you are at higher ground. And when you're able to just look down and see the beauty of God's creation, yeah. it's just amazing. It's like, it's like Leonardo DiCaprio in the Titanic when he, when he says, I'm the king of the world, right? It's just this emotional feeling of, yes, right? I'm on top of the world, and it's awesome. You know, as a parent, you're always, you know, propping up and, you know, bigging up your kids, and, and you know, you're, you're influencing their self-esteem. You want them to have confidence and believe in themselves. You know, you want them on, a, on an emotional high. Right, Kai? You want to be, oh! Right? Confidence, full of confidence. Yet, when they have a mountaintop experience sometimes, you may, you may have the opposite concern. Will they be humble? When the church experiences a mountaintop experience, will we be humble? Yeah, come on. When you experience your highs in life, will you be humble? You know, I've had many victories in my life where I've had to challenge myself to know my place. Right? Also, when things go wrong, can we handle it? Yeah. You know, Satan says in verse 6, throw yourself down. That was a challenge, right? It's like he's saying, you're a child of God. God loves you. You should be free of negative consequences. Mm. You know, I've seen this attitude before. Unfortunately, I've been around peers in, in, in ministry in the early days of leadership, in the 90s, where I felt as if some of them felt as if they were entitled mm -hmm. and more important than others. And it caused me great struggle. It caused me great struggle. And it caused me great harm. Where I, I, I looked at ministry in a negative light. Mm -hmm. Where I felt that church leadership was just not for me. But praise Jesus, here I am. Amen. Come on. Amen. Entitlement is when you is when you feel like you can say or do whatever you want without fear of consequence. Like you can do whatever you want to do without any consequence at all. Satan appeals to our sense of entitlement and prompts us to make bad decisions. Ooh, come on. Where you feel like nobody has the right to say, well, well, I'm sorry, nobody has the right to say whatever they want without a consequence. Yep. Nobody. Right. There is a consequence for everything that comes out of your mouth. <laughs> there is a reward for everything that comes out of your mouth. Right? So for the good things, amen. For the bad things, there's a consequence. And we have to live with that. And Jesus says, don't put God to the test. There you go. As children of God, our identity needs to be reaffirmed and, and, and encouraged, but also we need to build humility and self-awareness. Mm -hmm. 
You are not to put God to the test. There needs to be a balance. God loves you, but there needs to be humility and know your place. Let's look at Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. You know, Satan showed Jesus the splendor of the world. The splendor. Have, have, we, can, we can look at the world and see some splendor, can't we? Oh, yeah. Satan showed him the splendor of the world. Definition of splendor. Brilliant and glorious in appearance. How about some of those video games, Travis? <laughs> glorious in appearance. <laughs> that Nintendo Switch boy. I walk into Travis's room sometimes. It's glorious in appearance. <laughs> right? To have grandeur and glory. When Travis sees it, he's just like, whoa. There's nothing better than that. You know, I, I love to travel. And there are places that I would really like to go to, but I know it probably never happened. And sometimes I'll just sit and, and I'll look at photos and then Claudette showed me this, um, I forget what it is on Instagram, where all these like beautiful places. Um, and I just look in awe at some of these places, right? You know, and I just stand there and I look at the architect architecture and I'm just like, wow, that is pretty cool. I'd love to go there, but I know I never will. <laughs> That's just so awesome. And it can just be so intoxicating, right? And I just like, oh, look at that. I'd love to go there too, but I know that I never will. Whoa, whoa, not at my salary. I just like, man, that's just awesome. You heard, you heard that time out of my salary. <laughs> so it's just like awesome, like it's just a splendor, and it's just glorious, right? You know, Satan isn't satisfied with the fact that you're intoxicated with all these things. He's not satisfied with that. You know, he, he wants us to define ourselves with the things that we have. He wants us to define ourselves with our girlfriend. He wants us to define ourselves by our jobs. He wants us to define ourselves by our house. He wants us to define ourselves by our children. He wants us to define ourselves by our wife. He wants us to define ourselves by our car. He wants us to define ourselves by all these things. That's, that's what he wants us to do. That's the, 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 the definition of us are these things that we are so intoxicated by them Come on. that they define us. Have you guys ever seen, like, okay, I'm going to confess, I do like horror movies, okay? Like, classic horror movies. Amen. All right? Hey, bro, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but, but, like, there's a classic called Christine. Have you guys yes. ever seen it? Oh. Yes. And he's intoxicated with this crazy car. Right? And it defines him. That's like the definition of him. Where he like alienates everyone in his life and it defines him. And that's what Satan wants. For your, for your life to be defined by these things. No one would ever say we directly worship Satan. Mm. Well, worship means to be devoted. To be subservient, which means obey without question. 
So, so, so it means that you're going to obey Satan's demands without question. Mm -hmm. So that is sin, right? So sin, when we sin, we're basically obeying his demands without question. Mm -hmm. So we are subservient to him rather than God. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what we're doing. It also means to sacrifice to and to honor. We do these things even with our job, right? We go to work and we obey without question. Our girlfriend, title, teacher. Te teens, I hope you obey your teachers without question. That's good, right? But Jesus says, worship God only. Worship the Lord your God only. That is who we worship. Keyword, only. One of the reasons we battle for our identity is because our devotion is divided. Yeah. That's why we battle. That's why there is friction. Because our devotion is divided. We have we have fragmented our faith due to our own lack of, of fidelity to God. Satan didn't ask us to stop worshiping God. He asked that we worship things in addition to God. Just like we see in the Old Testament. They didn't say stop worshiping God. They just said worship Baal as well. It's like, here you go, just throw that in there as well. But only God matters. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their what? Duplicity. They're destroyed by their duplicity. They're destroyed because they cannot worship their only God. They have to worship God and something else. So in closing, who do you believe you are? When, you know, Satan tries to fill in the blanks and answer that question for us. You know, he tries to define you through your pain. Jesus defines us through purpose. Pursue God's purpose for your life. Satan gets us to, to be impulsive. Jesus wants us to fear God. Satan gets us to worship the things of the world. Only Jesus is Lord. Amen. And so what I want to do is, well first, before I get there, you know the big question here is what is competing for your heart's devotion to God? What is competing for your heart's devotion to God? And so I'd like to end with a story. I can, I, I, I'm very familiar with this story, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to touch on my notes here from time to time because I want to be very accurate with this. And many of you may know this story, or you may not. Um, it's a story about... Um, I think I pronounced or I wrote down the first name incorrectly there, but it's Ignatz uh, Ignatz He's a Hungarian doctor. He's he's considered the father of of um, sterilization. So in in Europe, in around the 1840s, um, many many new mothers. Were, were dying of this thing called childbed uh, disease, right? And what was happening was that they would, they would give birth, and then shortly after they gave birth, they died, right? And, and so uh, they, they had no idea why this was happening, but then there was this, there was this doctor in, in Vienna, Austria, uh, this gentleman here, who was quite concerned about that, and he decided that he was going to try to figure out why this was happening. So he worked in a hospital 
that had a, a, a dual maternity ward, right? So half the maternity ward had, had uh, male doctors uh, and some medical students, and the other half had midwives who were delivering the babies. And so for a while, they tried to figure out, well, why is this happening? What's going on? And so they tried to, they tried to come up with different uh, tests to, to figure out why these women were dying right after childbirth. But they also noticed that more women, probably five times more women, were dying under the doctor's care than the midwife's care. <coughs> right? And so they tried to figure out, they did different tests. They, they thought maybe, maybe it's the position um, that they were given birth in. That wasn't it, right? Maybe, maybe they were just so distraught by the male doctors, right, giving them care. Not the case. Maybe they were freaking out by the fact that so many of them were dying and then they had a, a, a priest coming in there and then that just freaked them out. Not the case. And so they kept doing all these tests to figure out why so many women were dying after childbirth. They, they came to figure, figure out that these male doctors and their students were dissecting cadavers and then after dissecting the cadavers were going in and performing childbirth. Oh. And then there's, there's these little particles um, of cadavers were now entering the women and killing them. And so that's why there were so many more with the doctors than there were with the midwives. So, so this doctor said, that's just crazy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you guys to, to wash your hands. And I'm going to give you a solution. It's like a, it's like a chlorine solution. And the chlorine solution is going to help with the smell. right? That's going to help with the smell in your hands. And so they did that. And it radically decreased the deaths. Radically decreased the deaths. Okay? So after this, this was very obvious. The doctors saw how obvious it was and complained and said, oh, now he's blaming us for killing these women. So now they didn't agree with it and they said, we're not doing it anymore. We're not going to wash our hands anymore because he's blaming us for killing all these women. Right? And so they, long story short, they also blamed him and said that he was a lunatic and he, he, he died later. They put him in a mental hospital. But anyway, so, so they stopped washing their hands. Um, there's a part of my notes here that I really wanted to mention. Um, so he kept trying to convince doctors in other parts of Europe to wash with chlorine, but no one would listen to him. Even today, convincing healthcare providers to take hand washing seriously is a challenge. Hundreds of thousands of hospital patients get infections each year, infections that can be deadly and hard to treat. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says hand hygiene is one of the most important ways to prevent these infections. He was mocked for protecting people against what could not be seen. Um, you know, it's a very scary thing because he came up with this solution to prevent all these women from dying. And it's the same thing that we saw recently, right, a couple of years ago, with, with, the, with the virus, which started right here. Wash your hands. 
<laughs> right? We heard that we heard that constantly. Just wash your hands. Right? And this man was just trying to save lives and they called him a lunatic. Right? You know, there are things that we cannot see. These little particles were killing these people. There are the things that we cannot see. This is war against something unseen that is killing us. Spiritually killing you and I that we cannot see. It is real. They didn't think it was real. It is real. People laughed at him, and it caused many women to die. This is real. Spiritually, what I am saying and the, the conversations that you are having with Satan about your identity and who you are are real, and it causes death. Say that again. The conversations that you are having with Satan about your identity is real and it causes death. So I leave you with this challenge in the form of a scripture. In 1 Peter 1 13 through 15. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you, ha you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And to God be the glory. Amen. 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 Can we give a hand? Thank God for allowing, for using him to give us that message. Yeah. No, and it's um that really hit me when you said that they were touching the dead and that spread to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's sin. That is exactly what it, we think just a little bit of sin and it can't be seen. And sometimes we just want to ignore the evidence of what it's doing. But until we choose to go before God and wash ourselves of those things, we can never help people rise up. So thank you again, J.D. Amen. He's got, um, I think, a perfect fitting song. Um, let's stand up. Please turn to page 380. Send me to wash our hands. We have, we have to ask God to wash our hearts, our minds, our souls. Only, only the blood of Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Father, God, thank you, God, for this message, God. Help us uh, just realize how our identity is in you, God, and yes. not defined by Satan or this world, God, but just found in you. God, help us be humble when uh, people point out how we're uh, sinning, if we're yes. uh, intimidating ourselves or others, God. Just help us be humble enough to listen and just turn to you, God. And uh, thank you, God, for your sacrifice on the cross. Uh, we are washed clean, God, by your by your blood. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Lord, just help us uh, just go out and enjoy uh, this time together and uh, just uh, yeah, have, have a good time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. <laughs> okay, you're dismissed. <laughs>